Welcome back to our study of First Kings. We are in First Kings chapter 14 today. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 20 and the end of Jeroboam and the beginning of the end of his house. Remember, Jeroboam was the man whom God selected to become king over 10 of the tribes of Israel when Israel was divided into the northern and the southern kingdoms as a result of Solomon's sin. So after Solomon's death, the kingdom um, we would have expected to pass to one of his sons, uh, but God tore away 10 of the tribes of Israel and gave them to Jeroboam, who became king over the northern tribes that we call Israel, and then Solomon's son Rehoboam became king over the southern tribe of Judah, over the southern kingdom. Um, and so today, though, we're going to see what happened uh, as a result of Jeroboam's turning from the Lord. Remember, we've seen uh, already in our study that Jeroboam decided to have two golden calves fashioned and put one in the uh, southern part of his kingdom and one in the northern part of his kingdom so that the people of Israel wouldn't go back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord as God had commanded because he was afraid if they did then, then they would also turn back to the house of David. In other words, that they would go back um, and submit to Rehoboam as king. Uh, and so Jeroboam set up his own worship, um, his own priests, and uh, led the people into idolatry, and that idolatry is going to bring destruction because it brings upon Jeroboam God's judgment. So let's see what happens in uh, 1 Kings, beginning in chapter uh, 14, verse 1. It says, At that time Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself, that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what shall happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? for I am charged with unbearable news for you." So uh, Jeroboam's son is sick, and this gets confusing like it does in, in some places in the Old Testament because the names are so similar. Jeroboam, the king in the north, Rehoboam, the king in the south. Now we've got the son of Jeroboam, Abijah, who's sick, and so Jeroboam has his wife go to the prophet Ahijah to find out what's going to happen to his son. So it's a little confusing, but just try to uh, bear with us here, right? So uh, Jeroboam's son Abijah is ill, and apparently it's serious enough that Jeroboam is concerned for his welfare, concerned enough to ask his wife 
to disguise herself and go and visit this prophet to find out what's going to happen. I remember Ahijah was the prophet who uh, a few chapters ago was the one that uh, told Jeroboam that God was going to make him king over the ten tribes when he took them away from the house of David after Solomon's death. So Jeroboam has um, you know, heard from this prophet before and have, has seen what this prophet said come to pass. And so evidently he uh, believes that this prophet, Ahijah, will tell him the truth. Right? So despite um, Jeroboam's idolatry and turning from the Lord, uh, he does send to a true prophet from the Lord to find out what's going to happen to his son. So his wife uh, does what her husband asks. She disguises herself. Um, she takes uh, a gift to the prophet. Um, and she goes to Shiloh where Ahijah is to find out what's going to happen to her son. And then there's a sort of sign that takes place to uh, indicate that what Ahijah says um, is going to come to pass because it is from the Lord. And that sign is this. Um, God speaks to Ahijah before Jeroboam's wife gets there um, in verse 5 and tells Ahijah that the wife of Jeroboam is going to come to him and is going to ask about her son because her son is sick. And then it says, thus and thus shall you say to her. That's uh, the narrator's way of um, not telling us in advance what Ahijah is going to say so that it remains a secret for us, though at that time Ahijah uh, was told by the Lord what to say to her. Right? But he, he withholds that from us for now so that we hear it when uh, the wife of Jeroboam hears it. So that makes the story more interesting to read. So he tells Ahijah what to say to uh, the wife of Jeroboam when she comes. And then at the end of verse 5, it tells us that um, she pretended to be another woman. So when she came to the prophet, she was pretending to be somebody else. And we were told back in verse 4 that Ahijah couldn't see, right? His eyes had grown dim with age. And so he knows that she is coming because God has told her she is coming. Um, but notice what it says in verse 6. When Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? So not only does he know who she is, despite the fact that he can't see, he even knows that she's pretending to be somebody else, despite the fact that he can't see. So these two things together form a sort of sign given to the wife of Jeroboam to indicate that this man is a genuine prophet and that what he's about to say uh, is going to come from the Lord. Now, um, there are things in the, in the Bible that warn us that... Um, you know, sometimes even uh, false prophets can appear to perform signs. So uh, just the mere performance of a sign doesn't automatically mean that somebody's speaking the truth, but it is an indication, right, in this case, that this is a genuine prophet. All right, so what is he going to say to her? Uh, verse 7, well, he's, he gives a sort of a warning at the end of verse 6, doesn't he? I'm charged with unbearable news for you. So it's obviously not going to be good, but... It's worse than uh, the wife of Jeroboam probably could have expected. 
Verse 7 says, Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people of Israel, and made you leader over my people Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes, but you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam every male, both bond and free, in Israel, and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. For the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Let's stop there. So that's some pretty heavy news for the wife of Jeroboam. First thing that the prophet says to her is he reminds her that God gave Jeroboam much. God chose Jeroboam to be the king over Israel. God gave Jeroboam the ten tribes of Israel. And how did Jeroboam respond to that grace, to that gift, to that stewardship from the Lord? Well, what did he do? He rejected the Lord. He fashioned idols. He turned away from God. Right? He set up his own rival religion, as we saw before. So he was entrusted with much, and yet his rebellion against the Lord was great. And so as a result, verse 10, therefore, right, as a result, God is going to burn up Jeroboam's house. He compares it to burning up dung. He is going to destroy utterly the house of Jeroboam. So his idolatry, his turning from the Lord is bringing destruction, not only upon him, but upon his house. And God makes a comparison here between Jeroboam and David. That's, that's worth looking into uh, a little more closely. In verse 9, he says, you have done evil above all who were before you. So he's done worse even than Solomon, who turned from the Lord toward the end of his life because his foreign wives turned him toward idols. He's done worse than all who came before him. And in particular, he is compared unfavorably with David. Um, <clears throat> verse 8 says, uh, in the middle of verse 8, you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. Now, we might scratch our heads a little bit at that description of David because that sounds um, a little too favorable toward David, if the story of David is familiar in our minds, because David didn't always obey the Lord. Right? David sinned grievously in the matter of uh, Bathsheba and, and Uriah. He committed adultery. He committed murder. So why does God say, David kept my commandments and followed me with all of his heart, 
and then say, uh, Jeroboam, you're not like that at all. You're not like David at all because you have turned away from me. Well, um, there's a few things it's worth uh, noting here. In one sense, David received a very similar rebuke and similar punishment to what Jeroboam receives. Uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when the prophet Nathan comes to David and says to him, you're the man, you have sinned against the Lord in the matter of um, Bathsheba, here's what God says to David through the prophet. He says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. That sounds like all the good things that God has given to Jeroboam. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Jeroboam has done something similar. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So David's sin is adultery and murder which is not the same as idolatry, though they're both serious sins. Now, therefore, God says, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So judgment comes upon David's house, right? Punishment, chastisement, the sword is never going to depart from David's house as a result of David's sin. So it sounds like what David did and the consequences for David were actually quite similar to what Jeroboam did and the consequences that are coming on Jeroboam. So why does God say that David and Jeroboam are so different? Well, here is the key. Two things. One, David's sin was not idolatry. Adultery and murder are grievous, serious sins. But even in committing idolatry and even, excuse me, even in committing murder and in committing idolatry, David did not totally turn his back on the Lord. He sinned against the Lord, but he did not turn from the Lord to worship other gods like Jeroboam did. And then the most significant difference is that David repented of his sin while Jeroboam did not. When David was called on his sin by Nathan the prophet, he admitted his sin, he cried out to mercy for the Lord, uh, cried out to the Lord for mercy, he uh, fasted, right? he, he pleaded with the Lord to spare the child that was going to come um, from his adultery with Bathsheba uh, because she found out shortly afterward that she was pregnant by David. And that's why he uh, conspired to murder Uriah. And so um, David pleaded for mercy for that child and, and he uh, pleaded with God to um, have mercy on him and to forgive his sin. We see nothing like that from Jeroboam. In fact, at the end of uh, chapter 13, despite all that had taken place, we read, after this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. So Jeroboam refused to repent. That's what makes David and Jeroboam so different. David can be called a man after God's own heart, not because David was sinless, but because when David sinned, he turned back to the Lord. He sought the Lord. 
he never turned ultimately and finally away from the Lord toward idols. It's also important to notice that the writer of 1 Kings is not glossing over David's sin as though they never happened. It sounds like that's the case when it says at the end of verse 8 that David was doing only that which was right in my eyes. Well, what about David's sin? Is he just pretending like that's never happened? No, no, no. In the very next chapter, in 1 Kings 15, verse 5, It says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, which of course would include Bathsheba as well. So the point is, when you look at David's whole life, he was a faithful, God-honoring, obedient man. Was there a serious exception to that pattern of his life? Yes. Did David pay for that? Yes. There were serious consequences for David and for his house. But nonetheless, David was, on the whole, a godly man, a fundamentally different kind of man than Jeroboam, who despite all that God gave him, did not simply uh, sin grievously and seriously at a few points in his life and, and always turn back to the Lord. But his entire reign as king was characterized by idolatry and by leading others away from God to false gods. That's why Jeroboam and David are so different. Now, um, here's where the news gets really bad for Jeroboam. Not only is his whole house is going to be destroyed, and here are the specifics. Verse 11 says that no one from Jeroboam's house is going to experience uh, the the normal rites of of burial. But if they die in the city, they'll be uh, eaten by the dogs. If they die in the country, they'll be eaten by the birds. They're not going to get to experience a proper burial. Right? Verse 12, the wife of Jeroboam is told that when she enters the city, where her husband and her child are, when she enters the city, her child is going to die. How terrible is that? What a, what, a, what a heavy blow, a heavy judgment on the sin of her husband, which we would assume she was complicit in. Right, That she can't not go home, but when she goes home, her child is going to die. Um, the, the little bit of silver lining is in verse 13 that uh, all Israel is going to mourn for this son, for Abijah, because um, uh, only, and it says only he uh, is going to come to the grave because in him there was found something pleasing to the Lord. So there's something good in Abijah, and that makes us wonder, well, why is Abijah going to die then if the Lord does find something pleasing in him out of all Jeroboam's house? And the answer to that is we just don't know. But what we do know is that the life of every person is in the hand of the Lord and God does not owe life or health to anyone, whether we are righteous or unrighteous, pleasing to the Lord or not pleasing to the Lord. God doesn't owe any of us another breath, another day of life. And so for God to say Abijah is going to die is not for God to do anything evil or anything wrong. Abijah's life is in his hand. Even though there's something pleasing to the Lord in the life of Abijah, his life is going to come to an end. 
We pick it up in verse 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. In other words, God is saying already right now, during the reign of, Rehobo, or excuse me, of Jeroboam, that he is going to send the northern kingdom of Israel into exile because of their idolatry, which is rooted in uh, Jeroboam's uh, own sin of idolatry, which he led is the nation of Israel to, to join him in as well. So they're going to be rooted up out of the land. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be exiled. This is not going to happen until 2 Kings chapter 17. So there's a lot of space and quite a bit of time between the prophecy of this exile and the actual execution of the exile when it actually takes place. But that when that happens, we will be looking back to the reign of Jeroboam as the root cause for the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel when the Assyrians come and capture them and then scatter them abroad in 722 BC. So uh, the reason for that exile is Israel's idolatry. And then finally, uh, verse, uh, verses 17 to 20 says, Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. The fact that that part of Ahijah's prophecy came true uh, is another indication that the full prophecy of Ahijah will take place, including the exile. Verse 19, Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his place. It's always a tragedy when a child dies before his parents. That's always grievous. But in this instance, it's especially grievous that Jeroboam's son, Abijah, would die before Jeroboam. Because in this instance, it's not just a tragedy. It's the beginning of the end of Jeroboam's house. It's the first death knell for Jeroboam signaling that God is going to wipe out his entire house because he so fully turned from the Lord to idols, despite all the good things that God had given to him. So let that be uh, both a warning and an encouragement to us, a warning that there are serious consequences for spurning God's gifts and turning to idols, worshiping other things, devoting ourselves to other things beside the Lord, and an encouragement to remember that even if, like David, we have sinned grievously against the Lord, if we repent, if we turn back to Him, there is mercy and grace, and we might have to suffer some of the consequences of our sin, likely we will, and yet there is mercy from the Lord, we can still belong to Him and be blessed by Him and even commended by Him if we will turn to Him. Amen. God bless.